Good morning. Good morning. Hi. This is John D. Whitest, and I'm talking to Gwyneth Moss, EFT Master in the UK. One day, I called up Gwyneth. I actually emailed her and said, would you please talk to me? I love the work that you're doing. I'd love to have a conversation with you. And she was kind enough to call back. We had a connection and began talking and found that we really liked doing this and we wanted to share it with you. So we've decided to keep going and to record this conversation so that you can enjoy it too. Hi, Gwyneth. Hello, John Dee. Yes, and that, that's exactly it. I'm here in Yorkshire in the north of England and you're over there in New York and we're just going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk about what we what we love, what we feel, what we believe, what our experiences are, and what is true to us about this whole wonderful gift to the world that's called EFT. Absolutely. And I, I loved where our conversation was going before we decided to share it with the world, which was, we just started at the beginning. What, what do we feel that EFT is and also isn't? And I loved where we were going. So let's let's do that. Okay, let's go back to that. Uh, what is EFT and what isn't EFT? Well, to me, EFT is a tool, and a tool works when you use it, and a tool is something that you can use simply or with craft and skill. Um, that's what EFT is. It's a tool for... Um, it's a tool for working on who we are and what we do and how we feel. Um, it's a tool for getting to, for communicating with and changing that inner animal part of our brain. And we'll talk more about that later. And to me, as EFT isn't, it isn't a magic trick. It isn't a panacea. It isn't... Um, Oh, I mean, you know, there's so many sort of promises made, you know, cure your lifelong anxiety, do this, do that. And though there are sometimes, you know, one session wonders, two-minute miracles with EFT, sure. other times EFT can be a step-by-step -step process of persistence and, and thorough hard work. And sometimes people do get achieve miraculous results with EFT all on their own simply by reading a book. More often, EFT is a part of a regular type of therapeutic process. Um, it's yeah, that's very what much you did, a give and between the two people, um, right? I mean, there, it's, very, it, it's pretty unusual that, that people can just pick up a book and go, okay, done, and, and apply it as successfully. I like the... the the device that you used about the tool, and that, you know, a hammer is a, a very useful tool, but um, I tend to think of it more like a carving tool, Gwyneth, so that you, you do have a certain amount of skill over time that you develop that allows you to do miraculous things with it. Well, also, it's very individual. If we, if we talk about another sort of tool, which is a paintbrush, uh, you know, you, you work a lot with kids and young people, don't you? And you know that you can put a paintbrush into the hand of, of any little kid and show them the simple operation, put brush in paint, put, paint on, put brush on paper, move it around. Um, and kids can paint. But you also, you know, you know, think of all those wonderful galleries and museums in, in New York. You see the fantastic skill of um, a highly experienced artist. 
and also how that is completely unique to themselves. And an EFT is like that paintbrush. It is so simple that you can use it like a five-year-old splashing colour about. Yeah. Or you can develop um, intricate craft and skill and use it like and a Picasso. Yeah? And it's still so individual. I love that analogy. That's great. Perfect. And it's still the same process. Absolutely. The tapping, the tapping process of using words and tapping is as simple as the process of put brush in paint, put paint on paper. Absolutely. Yeah. And and to some extent, I think that's what makes it so um, so easy to use, but so hard for people to believe. It does look awfully simple, and and as you as you were fond of saying, and it looks a little deft. Yeah, <laughs> I say to people, I say, you know, people don't, they're completely new to EFT. I say, this is going to look daft, and it's going to feel silly. Uh, but the good news is, we'll know very quickly if this is going to help you or not. Um, and I love that, too. The, the Americans, you know, fast, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and generally, you know, you, I find, you know, it, it is very surprising when EFT gets no effect whatsoever. Yes. You know, there's always something that changes. Either problem goes away completely, just, and that, that once happened with me, just to tell a little story. I'd gone to, um, there's um, a group of uh, seniors near here in a, a village called Howarth, and they have people come in and tell them about interesting things, and I was invited to do that. And... Um, I think the young'uns in the group were in their 70s, and many of these people were in their 80s or 90s. And so um, I was trying to explain to them about EFT, and I was getting a load of blank faces. And then one of these elderly gentlemen said to me, Here, love, can it help you, like, with flying light? You know, if you, if you can't get on a plane light, could it, could it help with that? And I said, yes, you know, I've many, I, I never say, yes, I can help you. I tell a story. I say, yes, you know, there was a lad I saw the other day, and he'd been scared to get on a plane, and then he flew to Amsterdam. And then this old gentleman said, well, look, my son, you know, he's moved to Spain, and I can't go visit him because I can't get on the plane. Wow. Um, can you help me? I said, I don't know. Shall we try? So there in front of all these seniors in their 80s and 90s, I, I start showing this this elderly gentleman how to tap and we just start at the karate point and I just use his exact words even though I can't get on the plane right um, even though I can't go see my son in Spain because I can't get on the plane I'm alright and we start going around the tapping point we get to the collarbone yeah. and the guy just bursts into laughter um, <laughs> He's, he's almost sort of laughing and crying at the same time, and he's sort of thumping his knee with the laughter. And, of course, all these other old dears start laughing along with him. And then he looks at me and he says, Well, that's done, love. He says, That's done. He said, You know, he said, You know what? He said, he said It's so funny. I was just worried I'd have to shoot people. Because last time I were on a plane, love, I were, I were a rear gunner. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, well, that's the connection. Uh, oh, my well, goodness. Sometimes EFT can be that quick. We hadn't even finished the round of tapping. We hadn't even gone around all the tapping points and his whole everything. So I asked him, well, just 
you know, can you think about now flying to Cyrus? Oh, I really wanted to test it. Because this is the other difference with EFT from other things, isn't it? The testing. Absolutely. We, we kick the tyres. So I asked him, you know, think about going to the airport and think about, you know, I told him he'd never been to an airport apart from when he was a rear gunner during the war. I said, you know, it's a bit yeah. different now. <laughs> and I got one of the other um, elderly people there to describe what it was like to talk about being on the plane. And he kept saying, yeah, that's all right, love, that's all right, yeah, yeah. Um, and the oh. whole problem, everything was gone within seconds. Um, well, I mean, that's the good news and the bad news, though, right, because that does happen, and it's so delightful and delicious, yeah. and of course we want to repeat that, as do they, and it it, it isn't always that way. No, and it's not, because I, I can give another example of a, a woman who I saw probably for about six sessions about flying, mm-hmm. and... Um, Every time she would come back and there would be new aspects related to different experiences when she was a child or in her life, it's almost like everything in her life had focused around flying. And eventually, after six sessions, she did fly successfully, calmly, um, but it was a big difference between those two different experiences. And I think that doesn't always come across when people are, you know, there's a lot of hype around EFT on the internet. Well, um, that's, true. that's true. Lots of people are, I'm afraid, in the business of over-promising, and I want to say perhaps out of enthusiasm or our never-ending um, search for the, the magic pill, the magic bullet, the magic moment, you know, the 50-second, mm-hmm. 20-second. That's just a part, unfortunately, I think, of our culture yeah. that causes them to over-promise. Um, but I, I too have experienced both of those, and, and who doesn't want to do that? So it, it's a very easy trap to fall into. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we have to under-promise and over-deliver. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. It, and, you know, and, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Because if we, if we over-promise, if we kind of build up EFT as it's like um, everything is going to change instantly, that it is that magic bullet, People are going to get disillusioned and disappointed, and we don't True. want that. True, and we that is the calling card that will ultimately hurt yeah. not only EFT but, but your practice. Uh, if if people are mistreated in some way or overpromised, mm-hmm. let me jump back to something that you said though. I think that's really important for us is is the idea that you can very quickly make this an experiential thing. And you can easily say to any prospective user of it, we'll find out quickly if it works for you. And you can experience what I'm talking about instead of just listening to me talking. Yeah, that's something I I say to people. I I, I tell them straight off, it looks daft, it feels silly. And uh, there's a lovely thing that Gary said in one of his, uh, uh, Gary Craig, I think in his 60s days at the VA, he introduces it to someone saying, it's not going to look anything like psychotherapy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it it looks and feels different. Sure. And, and the other thing I say to people is, hey, um, let's just go get on and do it. Because when we do it, you'll be able to ask me better questions and I'll give you better answers. Because what I want is I want to just, I want to get to the experience. Because once the person has the experience, they answer most of their questions themselves. They don't need an explanation when they've had the experience. 
deep on that. Sure, absolutely. And so um, it sometimes it is a struggle for me to get them to uh, just consider, open the door to the idea that tapping on your body somehow is going to make this problem better for you. Once I deal with that skepticism by saying, can we try? Would you be willing to just give it a shot no matter how silly it looks? If they, if they are still somehow, hmm, if I'm feeling intuitively that they are wanting to make the experience happen for themselves to open up, but yet still not able to go, I, I try to equate it to something that they understand so that I say, well, listen, if, if I told you to get in this hospital gown and, and step in front of this uh, machine that's going to shoot some x-rays into you, don't worry, it won't hurt. Would you do that? And they go, well, you know, I never thought about it that way. I mm-hmm. go, okay. Well, yeah. you see, that's, that's actually a very invasive sort of thing that mm-hmm. we accept as commonplace mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. non-invasive. So we can certainly give that a go, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I I think if people really are skeptical, the best thing to do is just walk away, but just to say something that increases their curiosity. Uh, because if you push against skepticism, it just mm-hmm. pushes back. And, fear, um, right? Fear pushing back. I know that people will come to EFT when they're good and ready to. Some Some people come, some people hear about it, and immediately... They just want it. They want to have a go. Other people, they hear about it, they step back a bit. They hear about it, they step back a bit. And it can take them years. But they do get there. So I just trust that everyone will get there in their own good time. And it's not up to me to sort of pull them or push them or try and persuade them. And I don't take it personally. Now, this is another re- this is a really good point. If people don't want to do your EFT, don't take it personally. Just step back. They'll come when they're good and ready, or you will find the people who are good and ready. Sure. Sure. It is very, very hard to keep that in mind sometimes because some part of us knows how much this little, beautiful, simple tool could help them and how much they're suffering. And so it gets very convoluted how you want to help them with their suffering versus help them into a place they're not and ready to walk. None of us is a, has to be a savior. <laughs> exactly. No, people are suffering. People are suffering. And when they're ready to do something about it, they will do something about it. We, we don't have to be saviors and rescuers. We're simply... Um, we're simply teachers with EFT. We walk alongside the person when they are ready. And the biggest thing that stops EFT in its tracks is when someone doesn't want the outcome. Yes, the, the, the resistance or the secondary gain, the psychological reversal, there's so many words for it, but not ready is my favorite. <laughs> yeah, don't want. Uh, I had an, a, a <laughs> lovely example of this. A woman came on... One of my training courses, the foundations course I teach. And she called me up a couple of days later and she said, it doesn't work. I said, okay, tell me, you know, tell me what happened. She said, well, um, my 12-year-old daughter sucks her thumb and uh, wanted to stop her sucking her thumb. And I said, I'm already getting a few warning bells. I said, well, tell me, what did you (laughs) say to her? Uh, 
what she said. Well, I said, come here, Susan. We're going to stop you sucking your thumb. <laughs> and very Susan, didn't know it. <laughs> Susan did all the tapping with her, being compliant. But Susan right. didn't want to stop sucking her thumb. Susan liked sucking her thumb and found it comforting. Now, I would guess that when Susan gets to be a few years older, she will quite spontaneously suck her, stop sucking her thumb because it won't be cool. Yes. yes <laughs> but but at 12, she, she likes it. So <laughs> if someone doesn't want the outcome, that is a complete blocker to EFT. Absolutely. And then if they were still wanting to EFT, you then got to look at, well, what, what is, what is, get into the specifics of don't want. What is it about the outcome that scares them, that um, angers them? That, you know, what is it about the outcome that they don't want? And start tapping at that sort of level. And that may shift something. Or just say to them, like I, you know, I've often had people phoning up wanting um, EFT or the hypnosis I used to do to, to get to stop smoking, get free of smoking. And the first question I ask them is, how much do you want to be a non-smoker? I don't say how much do you want to stop smoking. I say right. how much do you want to be a non-smoker? And if they say, well, I don't really. It's just my doctor says or my wife says. I say, don't waste your time and money. Phone me back when you want to be a non-smoker. Yeah. And that really surprises them. And I, often I they would, you know, six months later, they would phone back and they'd say, right, I want to be a non-smoker now. I say, okay, I'll make you an appointment. That's because great. if they don't want the outcome, you're not going to get there. They're not going to get there. It's true, and they can't get there, and that just increases their frustration as well, and yeah. it does nobody any favors, including the good old concept of EFT. And I, I think you've turned up something that, that I want to say to myself and everybody else. Uh, again, just like Gary, ask good questions. What kind mm -hmm. of questions are you asking to help both of you determine yeah. what exactly is needed and what exactly is at play here. And only by asking good questions can you get there. You're spot on there, John D, because that is the real skill of EFT because, you know, whether you're tapping for the first time or you've been tapping for years and years, the tapping is the same. And the words, the skill of the words come from those good questions. Now, the way I teach people about those good questions is I say these questions, they're not psychological rocket science. You don't <laughs> need a, a PhD to ask these sort of questions. They're what I call grandmother questions. You know, when you were little and you were kind of upset and you went to your granny, your granny would say really simple questions like, what happened? Where does it hurt? <laughs> Who did that? You know, when or what? You know, they're very, they're just really simple who, what, when questions. Yes. Who, what, when, how. Um, I think why questions can be unhelpful because why engages the, the thinking mind and why gets a response of because, why can get a defensive response. But what? What happened? is much more useful, yes. Or how did that happen? Um, what a simple, really simple questions, and then just taking whatever they say in response and feeding it back with the tapping. 
that it is such a simple process. And well, we don't I think that's that's the defeating part of it. Sometimes is you, is is you. Well, as I say to many clients who are very uh, very quick to always put everything into the intellectual. Yeah. I try to say in a very gentle, nice, and hopefully fun way, I go, you know what? Here's the good news and the bad news. You can't think your way out of this one. Yes. Because if you could think your way out of it, you would have done already. You would have done. You would have yeah. done. Yeah. You know, there are problems our thinking mind can solve. Yes. You know, and, like, and we um, pride ourselves a little bit uh, on the ego side. We pride ourselves yeah. on being logical or, 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 or uh, you know, we have... Even if we don't have um, a wonderful education that we're, that we're all just certificate proud of, we you know, still say, pride ourselves on being logical. Yeah, because you know, say the problem is, you know, do I trade in my car? Do I get a new car? Do I look for a used car? Um, do I buy um, a Honda? Do I buy a, a whatever Ford? You know, those sort of problems. We can think our way through them and come up with an answer. Yeah, but the sort of problems that get stuck are emotional problems. They're not at that thinking level of the brain. They're at the emotional level of the brain. And the emotional level level of the brain works in a different way from the thinking level. And thinking can actually just, we can think ourselves deeper into the hole rather than yes. think ourselves out of it. Absolutely. Think yourself into a complete twist. Yeah. And yeah. and those pretzels, you know, those pretzels are what it, it undoes so beautifully. I, I remember you've even you've even uh, described the brain in three parts before, in the in the reptilian sort of brain and the inner dog, which I love that concept. <laughs> I, I just really do. Could, do you want to do you want to just speak to that for a minute? Because yeah, it's a I will. Be. Well, this is it's it's something that's known as the triune brain, um, and. I found this was just a great way to to understand the brain in terms of what it does, in terms of how we are and how we behave. Because as part, I did a my psychotherapy training is something that's it's in the in a UK based approach called the Human Givens. Uh, it, it's a very Ericksonian based psychotherapy, but also informed by um, modern neuroscience and how the brain works. And I sat through all these lectures full of long Latin words like hippocampus and singular gyrus and all this stuff. And I could see and feel in myself and see in the rest of the audience, people just sort of glazing over and sort of writing mm. down amygdala this and that. And, <laughs> and I thought, this is, there is great science here and there is really helpful, useful stuff here. But all these words and the way it's described are just switching people off. So when I came to teaching that angle into my EFT trainings, I thought, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach all this material without using a single long Latin word. And coming upon the triune brain uh, concept was how I did that. So essentially the brain uh, has these three levels to it. And I tend to explain it to clients in terms of... um, my friend Jenny's uncle's house. So let me introduce you about my friend Jenny's uncle. Because yes. whenever we tell stories, people get things through telling stories. Now, my friend Jenny's uncle John, 
he's an antiques dealer. He lives in a big old house, and um, that's how he sells antiques. He fills his house with antique furniture that he buys from sale rooms, and then he invites these wealthy Americans over to stay, and he (laughs) takes them around all the different sort of um, antique sources in the area, but they always say, oh, but I love your this, your that, and so after lots of arguments, he lets them persuade him part with his cherished <laughs> furniture, which they ship back to the And then he just goes and fills the house with more and invites exactly. the next I lot. I love that. That's <laughs> anyway, his story. house, <laughs> which, which digressed a bit onto selling a man's That's okay. Um, his house, the foundations of the house, the basement, is in what's called the Doomsday Book, which was a record of uh, this country um, written in the 11th century. So the foundations, the basement part of his house is very, very old. The first floor is Tudor, so that's like 16th century. And then the top floor in the roof is Victorian, which is um, uh, 1920th century. Mm -hmm. And our brain is like that. The basement part of our brain, which is actually the, the piece of your brain right at the top of your spinal cord, at the base of your brain, um, that's called the brain stem. And that is as ancient as anything that has a brain, basically. You know, that goes right back to the reptiles. It's in evolutionary terms. Um, it's probably a couple of hundred million years old. So at that part of your brain, it's the part of your brain that runs Everything that happens all the time and completely automatically. So your your breathing, your plumbing, your heart rate, your hormones, your waking and sleeping. All we would call it the autopilot. The or yeah, it is. It's it's actually even beyond the autopilot. It's like the. Uh, it's like it's almost like the plane itself. The hard yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, and. It, it also is, I think, the seat of our deep intuition, where we, at that level of the brain, we connect to all that is beyond us. You know, like um, you think of a crocodile basking on the riverbank. Yes. It is connected. It is part of the of all that is. Yes. And I think our very deep intuitions, and our particularly our sort of sixth senses, our territorial knowing. Mm-hmm. For example, my my rabbit, I have a rabbit, Dan. he knows when there is a certain cat at the bottom of the garden. Though you can't see the cat, it's hiding behind the rhubarb leaves. And you probably couldn't hear the cat, even with his ears, because it's really sort of sneaking. But he knows it's there. And I yes. think it's his sort of territorial six or seven cents. And, I, and we have that too. You know, uh, there's a whole book by a guy called Rupert Sheldrake called The Sense of Being Stared At. If you're oh, standing in line know. at the post office behind someone and you look intently at the back of their head, they will turn round. We, you know, we've all experienced that. And um, tell, tell me the name again. That sounds fascinating. I've got it uh, absolutely right. Go to the site, sheldrake.org. Sheldrake, S-H-E-L... D-R-A-T-E. This is Rupert Sheldrake. He's a Cambridge biologist. Well, he left Cambridge because he started researching things which were too 
weird for them, like he started researching animal and human telepathy. Got it, got it. Yeah. So, now, well, in, in a sense, he did the same thing as Dr. William Tiller. He he left his, yeah. his loft at Stanford to investigate yeah. that which was real to him, and he found that no yeah. one else was doing So, Mr. Sheldrick's book is called the, the Sense of Being Stared At? That's one of his books. If you go to his website, there is a whole page of audios and videos about with Rupert talking about his work. Uh, he is um, a real intellectual and has a, what I would call intellectual bravery, like William Tiller. And I, I'm kind of trying, to, uh, well, I think I am, piecing together the, the truth, there's William Tiller's truth, and then there's the truth from Rupert Sheldrake, and I think they fit in a very interesting way. But that would be a bit of a digression, just coming back well, to... Well, will. I can't, I can't wait to do that one later. But yeah. Come, come, come back to Mr. Reptile. And, and brain stem is our reptile brain, and people tend to think of reptiles as primitive. But hey, no, you know there is um there is there is a very magical quality about there's them. a reason about they're still around. That's, yeah, that's what yeah. I say. <laughs> yeah. So we have the brain stem, which is our re- ancient reptile part of the brain, and that's like the the basement of yes. Uncle Jenny's Uncle John's house. Then built on top of that is the animal, the mammal part of our brain. And this is what I call the inner dog. And if you think how dogs are different from crocodiles, you know, it's obvious, isn't it? Dogs are dogs are emotional, they're affectionate, they're playful. Um, dogs can learn things which don't which doesn't have any logic to the dog. I mean, a crocodile you can teach it to you can almost bribe it with food and it will respond in a certain way but you can teach a dog to jump through hoops and set slippers and sure the difference between react and respond yeah yeah so you a a crocodile will react but a dog will will respond and so dogs have procedural learning and they get that sort of learning the learning at the dog level of the brain comes either from repetition you do the same thing over and over, and then that persists. Or it comes through intensity, through a, a sort of a, a single, very, very intense experience sure. will also then persist. So, and the dog level of the brain also contains our alarm system, our, what, what, a little organ that's called the amygdala, which is continually... Um, scanning our environment for um, evidence for, for threat. Um, right. So then, so the dog That's level. What Jan is feeling about the cat in the garden? Yes. Um, yeah, and it's that you see for Dan, it's that uh, particular cat. The other cats he's not bothered with. There's just one of them, and I think that one cat once really scared him. I think it got over the bunny fence and was probably trying to. You know, it was sort of clawing at the bars of his hutch, and he would have been a very scared bunny. So that, anything like the smell or the scent or the sound of that cat has a pattern match for Dan. We're now talking about the animal level of his brain. So it's a specific thing. Yes. So there will be, at the deeper level of the brain, something which says cat in garden, but then there will be a response at that higher level of this cat. Not great. The other analogy. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. 
And so then we have, up, if we're not a bunny, we get to the, the topmost, uh, yeah, the, the Victorian human. level, if you will, right? Now, the, the, the inner animal, the inner dog part of the brain is also millions of years old, probably about 50 million years old. Um, so the reptile brain and the dog brain in us, they've been around together for a long, long, long time. They are thoroughly tested and integrated pieces of software. They work together very, very well. The human brain is the new kid on the block. You know, it's only thousands. It's maybe 50,000 years old. It's, it's a very, it, it, you know, it's still in beta testing. <laughs> That's a wonderful way to say it. <laughs> it's a new piece of software, and it's not well integrated with the the dog brain and the croc brain. The dog brain, you know, when emotion arises in the dog brain, the dog brain sets off um, fear, um, anger. It immediately transmits to the body, doesn't it? Immediately. You know, emotion is felt. It's instantaneous. It's felt in the body. However, when we think of something, it's much slower. I used to find, I don't know, I used to play squash. I don't know if you ever played any squash or tennis or anything like that. And if I just played a shot, I got it. But if I tried to think about it and Mm -hmm. think about hitting the shot, I generally wouldn't. Yes. Another way is if you, you can run downstairs, but if you think about running downstairs, you try and you do it consciously, you'll fall over. You'll fall. <laughs> yeah, because thinking is too slow. Exactly. The interference is the speed, it, it's the processing speed, arguing yeah. with another type of processing speed, which is much quicker, right? Yeah, now this explains how we get ourselves into difficulties because, now if we go back, let's just do the example of that elderly gentleman who had been um, on a, you know, a, a bomber in the war. Right. And um, he had had probably a very, very intense experience and repetition of that intense experience. Yes. So the... Um, alarm system in his his animal brain had become programmed that flying is flying is dangerous flying is a threat yeah yes. and anything to do with flying was triggering off that fear and his to such an extent level that his thinking mind couldn't overrule it right it was a kind of a threshold level Below that threshold, the thinking mind can overrule it. Now, we've all had times when we've felt nervous, apprehensive, scared, and we've gone, just stand here and look calm. (laughs) Yeah? And we've overruled the animal part of the brain that wants to run away. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stop the animal part of the brain sending off those fear signals. It just kind of, it's a bit like going downhill on a bicycle with the brakes on. Yeah, you're just slowing it down. Right. And, 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 and the threshold level, fake the threshold level fake beyond it. which you can't. Yeah? Yes, yes. And this is because the dog and the croc brain don't trust the human brain. Yeah? Because thinking yes. is too slow. Right. It's too new. So when the dog and the croc brain really go 
danger, life-threatening danger, the, the thinking brain can't overrule, can't stop it, even though the thinking brain knows there's nothing wrong, it's quite safe to get on the plane and fly to Spain and go and see my son and I'm not going to have to drop bombs and there aren't going to be German fighter pilots coming after me. The thinking brain knows that, but it can't get a look in. Yes. Door is so what? So this is, what, this is where EFT comes in, because EFT calms down the dog brain. Yeah? Yes. Yes, and plus so when the, the jaw, just a peek, right? Yeah, so when the, like with that elderly guy, when the dog, when his dog brain calmed down, his thinking brain could go, yeah, but this is a commercial airliner, I'm flying to Spain, and we're not at war, there aren't any fighter planes, I don't have to drop bombs, and and that, and it just became funny to him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So this is how it works. We're working on EFT is a tool to calm and retrain your inner dog. EFT is puppy school for your inner dog. I love that. I love <laughs> that phrase. Puppy school yeah. for your inner dog. But it oh. takes, you know, it takes quite a bit of, bit of explanation to get to that sentence. So I'm glad you gave me the time to. <laughs> well, thank you, and I, I think we're going to be using that one a lot. Um, hmm. One of the things that that brings up for me, I wanted to say to you earlier is another reason EFT is so different is that every every time somebody codifies something or makes a, a different protocol, uh, fancy words for their own spin on something, they develop a jargon. Uh-huh. And jargon keeps people away. It well, jargon out. means you can sell it. Well, that, yeah. that's true. But it also means you have to be part of the club. You know? Yeah. So to me, there's an emotional content there too that's very distressing. That that is, I have designed this to keep the uninitiated out until yeah. I'm ready to let them in, and I'm going to make them feel that. But EFT mm-hmm. is the absolute antithesis of this because yeah. not only is there their slender use of jargon, meaning just yeah. something descriptive, so basic. But they open and welcome, I mean, actively welcome, we're going to use your phrases. So yeah, it's almost your like words. not only is the door open, but we're only going to use what you like. But, you know, it's so funny in teaching it, because this is my, my main thing with EFT is as a teacher, teaching groups how to use EFT to help themselves and others. And people are so conditioned to have an expectation of jargon and complexity, but they're looking for it when it's not there. Exactly. And I found that my (laughs) main skill as a teacher is to just help people let go of that need for jargon. And it's so funny because I, I, I have to go repeating over and over again that where do the words come from? This is people's main worry. How do I find the words? Exactly. The words just come straight out of the mouth of the person you're working with. And you just ask simple little questions to get to a bite-sized chunk of the problem. Yeah. And people want it to be complicated, and it's not. It is, I, I keep saying to them, this is so outrageously simple that when you get that simplicity is when you've really got it. They, they're almost thinking that there is somewhere a library of the right words to use. And I think it's very misleading that some people are publishing sort of EFT scripts and 
sort of preset things to say as you tap. And though they may be helpful in provoking something, um, it's really your own words and your own experience that we need to be that you need to be tuning into. Well, I think you bring up a really good point, and in in, in my practice, I try very hard to allay people's fears and and their their comfort needs for protocol, for some sort of system. You know, it, it must be explained to them, and I go. Well, I'm teaching you the algorithm, the, the, the proper tapping points in order as they are in the basic recipe, let's say, you know, the thing that everyone can download for free. I teach them that to say this is for comfort. That's yeah. really all it's yeah. for. Because yeah. I know that when you're starting out and you're trying so hard to do this right, quote and unquote, mm-hmm. you, you need to not be thinking where do I go next. So yes. I'm going to teach you this, and I actually uh, make an analogy to gravity. I say, let's start yes. at the top of the head, and let's see mm-hmm. this is like honey, warm honey coming down. Mm, that's, that's how right. I teach them to, to just get a hold of that and feel comfort before they uh, yeah. they, they sign off and just go, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the points where I need to. Well, what you're it giving me, Gandhi, is the training wheels on their bicycle. Ah, nice. Yeah. Good. So sure. those procedures, the basic recipe, it's just the training wheels. Mm-hmm. And um, once you don't need the training wheels, you start to ride the bicycle in your own way and go where you want to go. Um, and you you can only learn to ride a bicycle by getting on a bicycle. You know, you you can sit through great long lectures about the theory of bicycles, <laughs> but you can't walk out and ride one. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Oh goodness! Well, I do, I do love this tool, and I love the way that you have described all those things so, so very personally and conversationally. I think that this is a wonderful uh, experience for people listening, um, not not just for myself. I can't thank you enough for doing this, Gwyneth. It's great. Well, I love to talk about EFT. I love to share EFT because that's what EFT is about. It's about returning emotional health to the individual, the family, and the community. In, in, you know, on, on all sides of the Atlantic or the Pacific, I, I think we've we've lost we've lost a lot of what we used to have as community in our very Western societies. People used to gather together more, um, do things together, and people had more extended families. And now people are just getting into, um, you know, a rat in a wheel type, commuting, working, commuting, watching the TV, um, and isolated from each other or interacting purely through screens. Exactly the word, the isolation. Yeah, with that isolation comes... Um, people are not able to share and connect with others, which helps them to to release their emotional stucknesses, even just through sort of being with other people, talking, not necessarily talking about it. It, it helps. Uh, the isolation embeds um, emotional stuckness. So we've come to a culture where people have to pay to talk to a stranger. Mm-hmm. They don't have the you know the, the the same connection in their in their communities that they used to have, 
And though there's always going to be a need for professionals, I think what EFT does is it returns that emotional health, that emotional healing to the individual, the family, and the community. And EFT, though it has, it certainly has a role in the professional and the medical realms, it is really for the individual, for the family, for people to use for themselves and with each other. It empowers people. And so my, uh, you know, I make a living out of teaching my training courses, and I love it when people come on those courses and they really thoroughly learn how to use EFT for others. And I think professionals really need proper training. But for, for everybody, EFT is for everybody, and it doesn't matter how people learn it, uh, they get it, they make it their own. That's what it's all about. Exactly. It, it's a very personal tool. At the same time, it's a very universal tool. It's that duality, I think, that mm. sets it quite apart. Yep. Yep. It's something oh, wonderful. And, and, and also the concept I'm just returning to again, that, that it's, it's a gift. This returning of emotional health, um, in Gary Craig's words, the emotional freedom, that is such a gift, and I believe that at the bed, the bedrock of, of EFT is that beating heart of mm-hmm. this is a gift that I have chosen to learn and develop and become skillful in so that I might in turn pass that gift on to you. Yeah, yeah. And in and that way, we, we, we all we give a gift, there is an appreciation. Yes. And those who share the gift of EFT with good heart uh, get a return to that. But EFT is not something that to go making big money out of. It's not a big business thing. And the people who try and make it a big business thing, there just seems to be too much hype around it. It doesn't. It loses that um, the simple beauty of the gift. Well, I I think that's true. Um, another way that I would express that is the the depth, the resonant depth of the gift is is not available because you've just cut off the top. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to go to that level um, because yeah. your your heart is not participating. Well, do you know what we can talk about in our next conversation is just how EFT connects people. There's some amazing work that I did with um, EEG brainwave monitoring and EFT, and I'll gladly talk about that next time we speak. That would be wonderful. Well, it's been my pleasure to talk with you today, Gwyneth, and I know that this will be useful and enjoyed by many more people than just me, so thanks again. Okay. I enjoyed it too. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.